Okay, so welcome to uh, Faith Alive series, and this is session one. We're going to talk about salvation and uh, some things perhaps that we don't always talk about regarding salvation. And the thing we need to start with is that salvation is first of all all about Jesus and his sacrifice. There would be no salvation without him. So we want to put that high in our mind as we think about it. It's about what Jesus did. Okay, so um, you've probably got some ideas about salvation uh, and um, I could ask you if you wanted to give some. Anybody got any words that... About salvation? Yeah. Oh, no, but that music really, really got at me. I can remember the day I remember that God loved me. Oh, well, there we go. You see, you just said something about salvation, the love of God. Yeah. Anyone else just got a word or two? It doesn't matter. I'll just give you some blood of Jesus. He hmm? said, "Blood of Jesus." The blood of Jesus. That is huge. It is about the blood of Jesus. So that's great. We've got two really important things: the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. So it's about saving because salvation means being saved from sin and its consequences, which were death and separation from God. And uh, it's about having a different life into eternity. But that's just part of it. So um, the first thing I want to differentiate between is between new birth and salvation. So new birth, let's turn to John chapter 3. And this is Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus and he wanted to ask him some things. So he came by night and he said, Rabbi, verse 2, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Oh, sure. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water, and that speaks of natural birth, and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives life to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So this is the number one point that we start at, the point of new birth. Now this is a one-time thing. It's the act of receiving Jesus and becoming a child of God. So just turn over to John 1 here. John 1, verse 11. 
John 1 verse 11. And this is Jesus said, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Okay, so this is a time that, the one time that we decide to come to Jesus and join his kingdom. Okay, salvation, some people think of as just a one-time act as well. That when we come to Jesus and pray the sinner's prayer, we are saved, we have salvation. But actually it's way, way broader than that. Now Derek Prince gives this really lovely uh, illustration here. So imagine that you have a man, uh, uh, you're living in a mansion. You've been introduced to this place. Yes, you can stay here. So you go in and you take the first room on the left. And you set up your little house there. But actually that wasn't what the owner planned. He wanted you to have the run of the whole mansion. But all your life you just lived uh, in this little room. And you didn't realise that actually there were floors of beauty and grandeur and majesty. And there were depths where there were amazing grottos with beautiful jewels. You never saw it because you just stayed at the beginning. And sometimes we're like that with our understanding of salvation. So Derek Prince says... It takes a lifetime to explore what salvation means, and I agree. So it does include all the blessings and all the benefits that God has made available to us through Christ. And they include some of these things. Forgiveness of sins, that's a big one. Gift of eternal life, that's where we're going, starting now and after we die. The provision of physical healing that comes through salvation. The power to live a life that's different. And every provision, God gives every provision for this life. And assurance of eternity in the presence of Almighty God, not separated. Okay, so when we limit our understanding of salvation, it grieves the Lord. Because he's got so much more that he wants to say to you and me about salvation. So I'm sorry I'm not stopping, but it's being recorded. Yeah, that's so. cool. Okay. So the second thing is that salvation is finished, but continuing. So what I mean by that is, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. So the first thing we want to say about salvation, it is a finished action, because Jesus said it is finished on the cross. His sacrifice was a complete sacrifice, nothing more was required. So let's just read Hebrews 10, 11. And this is about the Old Testament times. 
day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Alright, so we can't add or take away from the sacrifice of Jesus. Compared with the Old Testament priests, they were never finished, they could never sit down. Whereas Jesus could sit down. We sit down when you finish something. And he could sit down at the right hand of God because he finished the salvation work. But it's also a continuing process. It says here in verse 14, he was made perfect. For, he has made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. And if we look at 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved is the power of God. So there's a way in which we are increasingly being set apart for God. And this word is the word sanctify. Increasingly, we are saying no to things that are of the evil nature, and we are saying yes, and growing more like Jesus as we look at his face. So in that way, this is a continuing process. So that's a little bit about salvation. We're going to go and talk to one thing that is often not talked about enough when we share with people who don't know Jesus. And, and uh, I want to just turn to Romans chapter 10. This is a, a chapter commonly used to talk about salvation. Romans chapter 10. So I'm now going to talk about Jesus as Lord. So this is not Jesus as Saviour, it's more. This is Jesus as Lord. And sometimes we don't talk about this aspect of salvation as much as we could do to talk about it and understand it. Right, so it says in verse 9... If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay. So if you declare with your mouth, what do you declare? Jesus is Lord. And that's really, really important. This... Um, um, it's not a concept, it's actually the reality that Jesus needs to be Lord. So we have often... 
So we often have the sinner's prayer. We know, okay, A, B, C, D. A, we admit that we've made mistakes. B, we say, yes, we believe that Jesus died for us and uh, made the sacrifice and rose again. Uh, C, we confess that we, we our sins and say that we are so sorry we sinned and would God forgive us for those sins. And D, declare... We said, you know, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, if God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the Lordship issue is really, really important because this is not a magic prayer. And sometimes we do treat it as though it is. That person came into the kingdom of God because they prayed this prayer. But it's actually not because they prayed this exact prayer. It's actually because they chose Jesus as Lord of their life. And if they didn't choose Jesus as Lord, it's, it, it's, uh, it's not valid. Because we need to talk about him as Lord. Take him as Lord. And what does Lord mean? Well, it means Supreme Master. So that means there is no other anywhere near the status of Jesus in our lives. And it has the meaning of ownership. Now, uh, we know that there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 6 that says, you are not your own because you were bought with a price, a very high price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. So it's this aspect that we sometimes don't stress when we're talking to people about Jesus. When they're choosing, they need to choose the fact that they are going to um, revoke all other attachments and give ownership of their lives to Jesus. Now, um, it, you know, very often this is just played down quite a lot, and we talk about the benefits and the blessings of coming to Jesus. You need Jesus because he'll heal you, or you need Jesus because he'll make you feel so much better. You'll have a purpose in life. Uh, he'll give you happiness. But um, actually we need to balance this with um, the fact that the first thing is we need to make him Lord and give him all of our lives. Um, John Bevere gives an interesting example of uh, a misleading way that some people can, we can see this in talking about Jesus. So he's talking about the military. And so there's, a po there's these posters, and on the posters, they've got these young men and women smartly dressed. They've got comrades in arms there. They've obviously got friends, and they've got photos all over the world of them. You know, maybe they're on a boat in the big blue sea, or they're yeah, just in different places that look attractive. So a young man sees these posters and thinks, actually, this is just what I want to do. So he goes along to the recruiting office and he signs up. So he gets on the boat, Navy I think, must be, and uh, 
suddenly he finds that he's scrubbing the decks. And he's not his own, actually. The military basically owns him and they tell him exactly what to do. So he thinks, oh, it'll be better when we go out to sea. And I'm going to see all these nice places. And so out to sea, he finds he's still scrubbing the decks. Uh, it's just a different place in the world that he's in. But uh, he doesn't get to go off with mates to this place and that place because he does exactly what his commanding officer says. Um, and he begins to feel really disillusioned. You know, man, this wasn't what I signed up for. Um, I signed up for to see the world in a wonderful way and have a lot of mates. And, uh, you know, so he thinks that he, he's feeling like he got the raw deal. And we've got to be careful that when we present Jesus, that we present him as, you know, you have to think really carefully about this because uh, he will... He demands your whole life. He gave his whole life for you. And in exchange, this costs you your whole life. And okay, all these blessings are so amazing, but uh, you don't get the blessings without giving first. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's another example that I thought was rather good about a bride. And John Bevere also gave this uh, little picture. And he said, you know, imagine a, a, a girl's engaged and uh, her, her bridegroom-to-be says to her, oh, I love you so much. You are always going to be my number one love. Now, I will have, I have got some other loves, that's, but don't worry. You are always going to be my first one. So how does she feel about that? Uh, not so good. And we need to uh, make sure that we don't give the impression when we're talking to people that that's okay. That you can just slot Jesus into a place in your life and carry on with your life unimpeded, just like you were. Because that is not it at all. Salvation is about giving everything we have to our Saviour because we owe him this because of his enormous sacrifice that he's given for us. And that's when we really understand the joy that is in the Lord and not when we're trying to balance the things of the world with the things of God. It doesn't work. It will result in conflict all the time, which is unhappiness because you find in here that your conscience is saying something but you want to go this way because you haven't resolved this issue, God or me. And you have to resolve it. It's either God or you but not both. You can't actually walk uh, a Christian life which is worth much if you are trying to do both. And, uh, you know, it won't be satisfying and it won't be purposeful when you're trying to balance the whole works together because it's not the way God planned it. Yeah, okay. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Because I don't want to just say this from a hole in my head. Uh, we want to back it up. 
does it say this in the Bible? Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and like they've even done some really godly stuff. Prophesied in your name and drove out demons in your name and performed many miracles. We'll deal with this next week, so don't worry about it this week. And I will say plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, you know, we're only evildoers if we are not under the blood of Jesus. If we have not, um, our sins are not forgiven. If we are out there sinning, and we are not constantly just coming to the Lord to be refreshed and cleansed. So he's saying, people can do things in my name, and actually do a lot, but still be evildoers who actually are not walking the walk that Jesus paid for. Yeah, that's a re this is a very sombre thought, and as I read John Bevere's book, uh, I, felt it was, I felt I couldn't read a lot at the time because it challenged me such a lot. Um, you know, it's easy for us to forget. And John Bevere says that these people who try to walk both walks are the most dangerous people in our church. Well, why is that? What about the person who, who doesn't know Jesus and goes off and does this, that, and the other thing, and they don't know Jesus at all? Well, actually, they know they don't know Jesus. But these people can be in our fellowship and look like Christians, but actually they could be sleeping around um, and living in, in general uh, a, um, an ungodly life, but saying all the right things. And these are the people who will drag other people away from salvation. So um, he says they're more dangerous, actually, than people who've never... Yeah, who, who just quite frankly know, know that they're not um, the Lord's. Okay. So let's look at Luke 6, 46. Luke 6, so this is the same sort of thing again. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And this is in the context of Jesus talking about wise and foolish builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And actually what he's really saying is you'd be better to call me great prophet or great teacher. You know, the person, the rich young ruler, didn't call Jesus Lord. He called him teacher. Because that's not the same as saying Lord. But to call Jesus Lord, supreme master of my life, and then not do what he says, you can't put that together. It doesn't work together. As for, every, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I'll tell you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down, laid the foundations on rock. 
When a flood came, the torrent struck the house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. That's the person who obeys. The one who hears my word and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Now notice that. Who's the foundation? Jesus. And this house has not got Jesus at the foundation. And so the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. It's very sobering to think about. So it's not just saying, it's actually doing what the Lord says. Right, so um, I'm going to now talk about the next topic after this, the last topic for tonight, and it's very cheery. I'm going to talk about hell. <laughs> you can see it on your little list. Look at what she knows about hell. <laughs> so, uh, so how, how many people have heard a, uh, a, a sermon on hell? It's not popular. Probably Alex. Yeah, Alex says he has. He's very old, so he's got a lot of years to have heard one sermon. I'm sure I have. Oh, yeah, you probably have two more, but just maybe one or two. Okay. So we have, to, we have to sometimes think, what do we really think about this place? And does it affect how urgent we feel about telling people about Jesus? You know, so I've heard it, people say that hell is not actually a real place. It's figurative. Which means that uh, it's just, it's the idea. It gives you the idea that you won't be with Christ. Actually, I don't think it's true. From my reading of the scripture, you have to just go through and decide that yourself. I believe it's a very real place. People who have had near-death experiences, uh, some of them have been down that road uh, and it was absolutely terrifying. So um, they come back and, you know, they are saying, oh my goodness, I, you know, I can't go that way. I heard of the screams. So when people say, and you know, I've heard uh, people who are uh, naughty boys, uh, naughty girls, and they say, I don't want to go to heaven with all the goodies. I'm going to go, to, I'm just going to go to hell with my mates. Yeah. And we're going to have a party down there. We'll just have a bonfire party. You know, well, that is all very well to say. But, oh my goodness, there is none of that. And if we turn to Luke chapter 16, we'll see that. Luke chapter 16, verses 19. Oh, verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the interesting thing is it does not say this is a parable. So very often we say, oh, another parable from Jesus, a nice story for a meaning. But this does not. My, my Bible says before this, oh, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the shrewd manager, the rich man and Lazarus. So... Um, we couldn't possibly take it that this actually is what it's like. And certainly Jesus meant us to get some really good information about what hell's like. So that we won't be mistaken in thinking it's just an alternative, okay, so we're not with God, shame. Oh no, that's not all of it, that's just the teeniest little bit of it. So here we go. 
There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his feet was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died <coughs> and was buried. <coughs> and in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you can't. Neither can anyone cross over from there to us. So then he's got another idea. If it can't be for me, can I help someone else? This is too terrible for anybody to come to. I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my family because I've got five brothers. Let him warn them so they don't come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. And he said, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Yeah. So hell is a real place of agony, anguish, forever. It's not a place with your friends. It's a pl an isolation place. So it says here also that there's a chasm that can't be crossed. So we know about Hades, that that's a, a word that's used, and that's used for the intermediate part of hell. So when people who don't know Jesus die, they go to Hades, and they're held there in torment there until the judgment of the great white throne, which is in Revelation 20. And at that stage, they will be brought out and judged according to our great judge Jesus, according to his justice. So they can't go from Hades back to try again and do better. Once you're in Hades, that's it. And then eventually, uh, when they are judged, finally they go to the lake of fire, which is more of a horrible torment forever. You know, um, this makes me very sober because um, because um, sometimes we forget the um, future resting, not resting place, but the future place of many of this earth. And it, it, we need, you know, this causes us perhaps to be more complacent when we want to actually tell people, hey, you need to know this. That, you know, I actually, when I worked through these things, uh, my, my heart for my family 
was so, um, I was so, it's not sad, it's not the right word, I can't tell you what the word was, but I cried out more to the Lord as I worked through some of these verses. Okay. So we see that um, various people will be judged, and you can read these in Revelations, uh, in your, on your list, um, it talks about people uh, who are unbelievers and, and believers, because believers will also stand before Jesus to give account of their lives. And we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, but we will still give account of our actions. And this is also a really sobering thing because it's easy for us to think that it's all done. But actually, uh, what we do with salvation is, is our, our um, responsibility. What have we done with this amazing gift of salvation that God has given us? Some people say, I don't believe that a loving God would ever send someone to hell. Have you heard people say this? Yeah. I've felt it. I can't. I cannot. I okay, cannot we're going to talk about it now. You know, hell was never meant for people. Hell was meant for the devil and his hordes <coughs> because of what they did in rebellion to God. But the devil has determined that he will take as many people as he can with him. But it wasn't meant. God provided a way. There has always been, for all this time, for since Jesus came, a way of escape. So it's like we have a choice. Okay, so we can choose God's way, which leads to everlasting life, or by not choosing that, we choose the way of the devil because it's the way of the world. That's his way. So this is a, a really sobering thing. But if God is a God of justice and he has set for the devil this um, punishment for his incredible rebellion, his awful rebellion, well, then he will have to do the same for people who also decide to follow the devil and have his nature and his character in their lives. Because otherwise it will not be justice. You can't say, well, these people will have this, but I will make something different for those. But it's not, it's not actually him, it's us. We choose. He has made a way, an amazing way, a merciful way, because he is full of mercy. But he can't let people with the evil nature of the devil into um, the kingdom of heaven. Because what would happen then? It taints and it uh, um, contaminates the beauty and the purity of the kingdom of heaven. We can only go to the kingdom of heaven purified by the blood of Jesus. So what we have to understand is, is this a decision that each person has to make is so important and they have to make it. And if they don't make a decision, you know, that is, is neglect. And that is the same as rejection. 
in terms of just not taking hold of the precious gift that Jesus wants to offer us. So there's a lot to think about, um, but I think we have to go back and finish by saying the gift of salvation is outrageous. It is incredible because we don't deserve it. All of us have chosen one way or another to walk down the broad road that leads to destruction. So it is absolutely incredible that Jesus came and gave his perfect, beautiful life to give us a gift of new life, of new birth. That is the most incredible thing. So it's not our job to tell God how to administer his salvation because we are humans and he is God Almighty. It is true that we have small minds and it's very hard for us to get our minds around some really big topics. But what we have to do is bow before him and say, you are my Lord. I may not understand, I struggle with some of these things, but I bow before you because you are the creator and you are my saviour and my Lord and I will understand. Now I choose anyway to bow before you with gratitude in my heart to you. So yes, there are lots of things that we need to think about. Um, and I'm gonna let, that's why I'm going to leave you to do that over the week. Have a look at some of these verses and just be prayerful before the Lord. Okay, let's just finish with prayer. Father, we have dealt with some things that are things we don't like to talk about so much. It makes bad reading and it breaks our heart for people we love and for many we don't even know. And God, you say to us, you go, I tell them, you go. Help us, Lord, as we think this week and as we meet people this week to have a boldness of the Holy Spirit to share and thank you for your gift. We are eternally grateful for your amazing gift of salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it's on tape, so um, it's just finished here now.